0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters three and four, from the Beasts of Tarzan. And now, chapter three, Beasts at Bay. Slowly, Tarzan unfolded the note the sailor had thrust into his hand and read it. At first, it made little impression on his sorrow-numbed senses, but finally, the full purport of the hideous plot of revenge unfolded itself before his imagination. "'This will explain to you,' the note read, "'the exact nature of my intentions relative to your offspring and to you. "'You were born an ape. "'You lived naked in the jungles. "'To your own we have returned you, "'but your son shall rise a step above his sire. "'It is the immutable law of evolution. "'The father was a beast, but the son shall be a man. "'He shall take the next ascending step in the scale of progress. "'He shall be no naked beast of the jungle.' but shall wear a loincloth and copper anklets, and perchance a ring in his nose, for he is to be reared by men, a tribe of savage cannibals. I might have killed you, but that would have curtailed the full measure of the punishment you have earned at my hands. Dead, you could not have suffered in the knowledge of your son's plight, but living, and in a place from which you may not escape to seek or secure your child, you shall suffer worse than death for all the years of your life, in contemplation of the horrors of your son's existence. This, then, is to be part of your punishment for having dared to pit yourself against N.R. P.S. The balance of your punishment has to do with what shall presently befall your wife. That I shall leave to your imagination. As he finished reading, a slight sound behind him brought him back with a start to the world of present realities. Instantly his senses awoke, and he was again Tarzan of the Apes, as he wheeled about, it was a beast at bay, vibrant with the instinct of self-preservation that faced a huge bull ape that was already charging down upon him. The two years that had elapsed since Tarzan had come out of the savage forest with his rescued mate had witnessed a slight diminution of the mighty powers that had made him the invincible lord of the jungle. His great estates in Uziri had claimed much of his time and attention and there he had found ample field for the practical use and retention of his almost superhuman powers. But naked and unarmed to do battle with the shaggy, bull-necked beast that now confronted him was a test that the ape-man was scarcely welcomed at any period of his wild existence. But there was no alternative other than to meet the rage-maddened creature with the weapons with which nature had endowed him. Over the bull's shoulder, Tarzan could now see the heads and shoulders of perhaps a dozen more of these mighty forerunners of primitive man. He knew, however, that there was little chance that they would attack him, since it is not within the reasoning powers of the anthropoid to be able to weigh or appreciate the value of concentrated action against an enemy. Otherwise they would long since have become the dominant creatures of their haunts, so tremendous a power of destruction lies in their mighty thews. With a low snarl the beast now hurled himself at Tarzan, but the ape-man had found, among other things in the haunts of civilized man, certain methods of scientific warfare that are unknown to the jungle folk. Whereas, a few years since, he would have met the brute rush with brute force, he now sidestepped his antagonist's headlong charge, and as the brute hurtled past him, swung a mighty right to the pit of the ape's stomach. With a howl of mingled rage and anguish, the great anthropoid bent double and sank to the ground, though almost instantly he was again struggling to his feet. Before he could regain them, however, his white-skinned foe had wheeled and pounced upon him, "'and in the act there dropped from the shoulders of the English lord "'the last shred of his superficial mantle of civilization. "'Once again he was the jungle beast reveling in bloody conflict with his kind. "'Once again he was Tarzan, son of Kala the she-ape. "'His strong white teeth sank into the hairy throat of his enemy "'as he sought the pulsing jugular. "'Powerful fingers held the mighty fangs from his own flesh, "'or clenched and beat with the power of a steam-hammer "'upon the snarling, foam-flecked face of his adversary.' In a circle about them the balance of the tribe of apes stood watching and enjoying the struggle. They muttered low gutturals of approval as bits of white hide or hairy blood-stained skin were torn from one contestant or the other. But they were silent in amazement and expectation when they saw the mighty white ape wriggle upon the back of their king, and, with steel muscles tense beneath the armpits of antagonist, bear down mightily with his open palms upon the back of the thick bull-neck, "'so that the king ape could but shriek in agony "'and flounder helplessly about upon the thick mat of jungle grass. "'As Tarzan had overcome the huge turquoise that time years before "'when he had been about to set out upon his quest "'for human beings of his own kind and color. "'So now he overcame this other great ape "'with the same wrestling hold upon which he had stumbled by accident "'during that other combat. "'The little audience of fierce anthropoids "'heard the creaking of the king's neck "'mingling with his agonized shrieks and hideous roaring.' "'Then there came a sudden crack, like the breaking of a stout limb before the fury of the wind. "'The bullet head crumpled forward upon its flaccid neck against the great hairy chest. "'The roaring and the shrieking ceased. "'The little pig-eyes of the onlookers wandered from the still form of their leader to that "'of the white ape that was rising to its feet beside the vanquished, then back to their "'king as though in wonder that he did not arise and slay this presumptuous stranger.' They saw the newcomer place a foot upon the neck of the quiet figure at his feet, and, throwing back his head, give vent to the wild, uncanny challenge of the bull-ape that has made a kill. Then they knew that their king was dead. Across the jungle rolled the horrid notes of the victory cry. The little monkeys in the treetops ceased their chattering. The harsh-voiced, brilliant-plumed birds were still. From afar came the answering wail of a leopard and the deep roar of a lion. It was the old Tarzan who turned questioning eyes upon the little knot of apes before him. It was the old Tarzan who shook his head as though to toss back a heavy mane that had fallen before his face, an old habit dating from the days that his great shock of thick, black hair had fallen about his shoulders, and often tumbled before his eyes when it had meant life or death to him to have his vision unobstructed. "'The ape-man knew that he might expect an immediate attack "'on the part of that particular surviving bull-ape "'who felt himself best fitted to contend for the kingship of the tribe. "'Among his own apes, he knew that it was not usual "'for an entire stranger to enter a community and, "'after having dispatched the king, "'assumed the leadership of the tribe himself, "'together with the fallen monarch's mates. "'On the other hand, if he made no attempt to follow them, "'they might move slowly away from him, "'later to fight among themselves for the supremacy.' "'That he could be king of them, if he so chose, he was confident. "'But he was not sure he cared to assume the sometimes irksome duties of that position, "'for he could see no particular advantage to be gained thereby. "'One of the younger apes, a huge, splendidly muscled brute, "'was edging threateningly closer to the ape-man. "'Through his bared, fighting fangs there issued a low, sullen growl. "'Tarzan watched his every move, standing rigid as a statue.' To have fallen back a step would have been to precipitate an immediate charge. To have rushed forward to meet the other might have had the same result, or it might have put the bellicose one to flight. It all depended upon the young bull's stock of courage. To stand perfectly still, waiting, was the middle course. In this event the bull would, according to custom, approach quite close to the object of his attention, growling hideously and bearing slavering fangs. Slowly he would circle about the other as though with a chip upon his shoulder, and this he did, even as Tarzan had foreseen. It might be a bluff royal, or on the other hand, so unstable is the mind of an ape, a passing impulse might hurl the hairy mass, tearing and rending upon the man without an instant's warning. As the brute circled him, Tarzan turned slowly, keeping his eyes ever upon the eyes of his antagonist. He had appraised the young bull as one who had never quite felt equal to the task of overthrowing his former king, but one who one day would have done so. Tarzan saw that the beast was of wondrous proportions, standing over seven feet upon his short, bowed legs. His great, hairy arms reached almost to the ground even when he stood erect, and his fighting fangs, now quite close to Tarzan's face, were exceptionally long and sharp. Like the others of his tribe, he differed in several minor essentials from the apes of Tarzan's boyhood. At first the ape-man had experienced a thrill of hope at the sight of the shaggy bodies of the anthropoids, a hope that by some strange freak of fate he had been again returned to his own tribe, but a closer inspection had convinced him that these were another species. As the threatening bull continued his stiff and jerky circling of the ape-man, much after the manner that you have noted among dogs when a strange canine comes among them, it occurred to Tarzan to discover if the language of his own tribe was identical with that of this other family— "'and so he addressed the brute in the language of the tribe of Kerchak. "'Who are you?' he asked. "'Who threatens Tarzan of the apes?' "'The hairy brute looked at surprise. "'I am Akut,' replied the other, "'in the same simple, primal tongue which is so low in the scale of spoken language "'as that, as Tarzan had surmised, "'it was identical with that of the tribe "'in which the first twenty years of his life had been spent. "'I am Akut,' said the ape. "'Moloch is dead. "'I am king.' Go away, or I shall kill you. You saw how easily I killed Molak, replied Tarzan. So I could kill you if I cared to be king, but Tarzan of the Apes would not be king of the tribe of Akut. All he wishes is to live in peace in this country. Let us be friends. Tarzan of the Apes can help you, and you can help Tarzan of the Apes. You cannot kill Akut, replied the other. None is so great as Akut. Had you not killed Molak, Akut would have done so, for Akut was ready to be king. For answer the ape-man hurled himself upon the great brute, who during the conversation had slightly relaxed his vigilance. In the twinkling of an eye the man had seized the wrist of the great ape, and before the other could grapple with him had whirled him about and leaped upon his broad back. Down they went together, but so well had Tarzan's plan worked out that before ever they touched the ground he had gained the same hold upon Akut that had broken Molag's neck. "'Slowly he brought the pressure to bear, "'and then as, in days gone by, "'he had given Kerchak the chance to surrender and live, "'so now he gave to Akut, "'in whom he saw a possible ally of great strength and resource, "'the option of living in amity with him, "'or dying as he had just seen his savage "'and heretofore invincible king die. Gagoda whispered Tarzan to the ape beneath him. "'It was the same question he had whispered to Kerchak, "'and in the language of the apes it means broadly— "'Do you surrender?' Akut thought of the creaking sound he had heard just before Molak's thick neck had snapped, and he shuddered. He hated to give up the kingship, though, so again he struggled to free himself, but a sudden torturing pressure upon his vertebrae brought an agonized kagoda from his lips. Tarzan relaxed his grip a trifle. "'You may still be king, Akut,' he said. "'Tarzan told you that he did not wish to be king. "'If any question you write,' "'Tarzan of the Apes will help you in your battles.' The ape-man rose, and Akut came slowly to his feet. Shaking his bullet-head and growling angrily, he waddled toward his tribe, looking first at one and then at another of the larger bulls who might be expected to challenge his leadership. But none did so. Instead, they drew away as he approached, and presently the whole pack moved off into the jungle, and Tarzan was left alone once more upon the beach." The ape-man was sore from the wounds that Moloch had inflicted upon him, but he was inured to physical suffering, and endured it with the calm and fortitude of the wild beasts that had taught him to lead the jungle life after the manner of all those who were born in it. His first need, he realized, was for weapons of offense and defense, for his encounter with the apes, and the distant notes of the savage voices of Numa the lion, and Sheeta, the panther, warned him that his was to be no life of indolent ease and security." "'It was but a return to the old existence "'of constant bloodshed and danger, "'to the hunting and the being hunted. "'Grim beasts would stalk him, "'as they had stalked him in the past, "'and never would there be a moment, "'by savage day or by cruel night, "'that he might not have instant need "'of such crude weapons as he could fashion "'from the materials at hand. "'Upon the shore he found an outcropping "'of brittle, igneous rock. "'By dint of much labor he managed "'to chip off a narrow sliver some twelve inches long "'by a quarter of an inch thick.' One edge was quite thin for a few inches near the tip. It was the rudiment of a knife. With it he went into the jungle, searching until he found a fallen tree of a certain species of hardwood with which he was familiar. From this he cut a small straight branch, which he pointed at one end. Then he scooped a small, round hole in the surface of the prostrate trunk. Into this he crumbled a few bits of dry bark, minutely shredded, after which he inserted the tip of his pointed stick and— "'Sitting astride the bole of the tree, "'spun the slender rod rapidly between his palms. "'After a time a thin smoke rose from the little mass of tinder, "'and a moment later the hole broke into flame. "'Heaping some larger twigs and sticks upon the tiny fire, "'Tarzan soon had quite a respectable blaze "'roaring in the enlarging cavity of the dead tree. "'Into this he thrust the blade of his stone knife, "'and as it became superheated he would withdraw it, "'touching a spot near the thin edge with a drop of moisture.' Beneath the wetted area, a little flake of the glassy material would crack and scale away. Thus, very slowly, the ape man commenced the tedious operation of putting a thin edge upon his primitive hunting knife. He did not attempt to accomplish the feat all in one sitting. At first, he was content to achieve a cutting edge of a couple of inches, with which he cut a long, pliable bow, a handle for his knife, a stout cudgel, and a goodly supply of arrows. "'These he catched in a tall tree beside a little stream, "'and here also he constructed a platform "'with a roof of palm leaves above it. "'When all these things had been done, "'it was growing dusk, "'and Tarzan felt a strong desire to eat. "'He had noted during the brief incursion "'he had made into the forest "'that a short distance upstream from his tree "'there was a much-used watering-place, "'where, from the trampled mud of either bank, "'it was evident beasts of all sorts "'and in great numbers came to drink.' "'To this spot the hungry ape-man made his silent way. "'Through the upper terrace of treetops "'he swung with the grace and ease of a monkey. "'But for the heavy burden upon his heart "'he would have been happy in this return "'to the old free life of his boyhood. "'Yet even with that burden "'he fell into the little habits and manners "'of his early life that were in reality "'more a part of him than the thin veneer "'of civilization that the past three years "'of his association with the white men "'of the outer world had spread lightly over him. "'A veneer that only hid the crudities of the beast,' the Tarzan of the apes had been. Could his fellow peers of the House of Lords have seen him then, they would have held up their noble hands in holy horror. Silently he crouched in the lower branches of a great forest giant that overhung the trail, his keen eyes and sensitive ears strained into the distant jungle, from which he knew his dinner would presently emerge. Nor had he longed to wait. Scarce had he settled himself to a comfortable position, his lithe, "'Muscular legs drawn well up beneath him "'as the panther draws his hindquarters "'in preparation for the spring. "'Then Bara, the deer, came daintily down to drink. "'But more than Bara was coming. "'Behind the graceful buck came another "'which the deer could neither see nor scent, "'but whose movements were apparent to Tarzan of the apes "'because of the elevated position of the ape-man's ambush. "'He knew not yet exactly the nature of the thing "'that moved so stealthily through the jungle "'a few hundred yards behind the deer.' but he was convinced that it was some great beast of prey stalking Bara for the self-same purposes that which prompted him to await the fleet animal. Numa, perhaps, or Sheeta, the panther. In any event, Tarzan could see his repast slipping from his grasp unless Bara moved more rapidly toward the ford than at present. Even as these thoughts passed through his mind, some noise of the stalker in his rear must have come to the buck, for with a sudden start he paused for an instant, trembling in his tracks, and then with a swift bound dashed straight for the river and Tarzan. It was his intention to flee to the shallow ford and escape upon the opposite side of the river. Not a hundred yards behind him came Numa. Tarzan could see him quite plainly now. Below the ape-man, Bara was about to pass. Could he do it? But even as he asked himself the question, the hungry man launched himself from his perch full upon the back of the startled buck. In another instant Numa would be upon them both, so if the ape-man were to dine that night or ever again, he must act quickly. Scarcely had he touched the sleek hide of the deer with the momentum that sent the animal to its knees than he had grasped a horn in either hand, and with a single quick wrench twisted the animal's neck completely round until he felt the vertebrae snap beneath his grip. The lion was roaring in rage close behind him as he swung the deer across his shoulder, and, grasping a foreleg between his strong teeth, "'leaped for the nearest of the lower branches "'that swung above his head. "'With both hands he grasped the limb, "'and at the instant that Numa sprang, "'drew himself and his prey "'out of reach of the animal's cruel talons. "'There was a thud below him "'as the baffled cat fell back to earth, "'and then Tarzan of the apes, "'drawing his dinner far up to the safety "'of a higher limb.' "'looked down with grinning face into the gleaming yellow eyes of the other wild beast "'that glared up at him from beneath, and with taunting insults "'flaunted the tender carcass of his kill in the face of him whom he had cheated of it. "'With his crude stone knife he cut a juicy steak from the hindquarters, "'and while the great lion paced, growling, back and forth below him, "'Lord Greystoke filled his savage belly. "'Nor ever in the choicest of his exclusive London clubs "'had a meal tasted more palatable.' The warm blood of his kill smeared his hands and face and filled his nostrils with the scent that the savage carnivores love best. And when he had finished, he left the balance of the carcass in a high fork of the tree where he had dined. And with Numa trailing below him, still keen for revenge, he made his way back to his treetop shelter, where he slept until the sun was high the following morning. We'll return with Chapter 4 right after these sponsor messages. And now, Chapter 4, Sheeta. The next few days were occupied by Tarzan in completing his weapons and exploring the jungle. He strung his bow with tendons from the buck upon which he had dined his first evening upon the new shore, and though he would have preferred the gut of Sheeta for the purpose, he was content to wait until opportunity permitted him to kill one of the great cats. He also braided a long grass rope, such a rope as he had used so many years before to tantalize the ill-natured tubelet and which later had developed into a wondrous effective weapon in the practiced hands of the little ape-boy. A sheath and handle for his hunting-knife, he fashioned, and a quiver for arrows, and from the hide of bara, a belt and loincloth. Then he set out to learn something of the strange land in which he found himself. That it was not his old familiar west coast of this African continent he knew from the fact that it faced east, the rising sun came up out of the sea before the threshold of the jungle. But that it was not the east coast of Africa, he was equally positive, for he felt satisfied that the Kincaid had not passed through the Mediterranean, the Suez Canal, and the Red Sea, nor had she had time to round the Cape of Good Hope, so he was quite at a loss to know where he might be. Sometimes he wondered if the ship had crossed the broad Atlantic to deposit him upon some wild South American shore, but the presence of Numa, the lion, decided him that such could not be the case. As Tarzan made his lonely way through the jungle paralleling the shore, he felt strong upon him a desire for companionship, so that gradually he commenced to regret that he had not cast his lot with the apes. He had seen nothing of them since that first day, when the influences of civilization were still paramount within him. Now he was more nearly returned to the Tarzan of old, and though he appreciated the fact that there could be little in common between himself and the great anthropoids, still they were better than no company at all moving leisurely, sometimes upon the ground, and again among the lower branches of the trees, gathering an occasional fruit, or turning over a fallen log in search of the larger bugs, which he still found as palatable as of old. Tarzan had covered a mile or more, when his attention was attracted by the scent of Sheeta upwind ahead of him. Now Sheeta, the panther, was one whom Tarzan was exceptionally glad to fall in with, for he had it in mind not only to utilize the great cat's strong gut for his bow, but also to fashion a new quiver and loincloth from the pieces of his hide. So whereas the ape-man had gone carelessly before, he now became the personification of noiseless stealth. Swiftly and silently he glided through the forest in the wake of the savage cat. Nor was the pursuer, for all his noble birth, one whit less savage than the wild, fierce thing that he stalked. As he came closer to Sheeta, he became aware that the panther on his part was stalking game of his own. And even as he realized this fact, there came to his nostrils, wafted from his right by a vagrant breeze, the strong odor of a company of great apes. The panther had taken to a large tree as Tarzan came within sight of him, and beyond and below him, Tarzan saw the tribe of Akut lolling in a little natural clearing. Some of them were dozing against the boles of trees, while others roamed about, turning over bits of bark from beneath which they transferred the luscious grubs and beetles to their mouths. Akut was closest to Sheeta, The great cat lay crouched upon a thick limb, hidden from the ape's view by dense foliage, waiting patiently until the anthropoid should come within range of his spring. Tarzan cautiously gained a position in the same tree with the panther and a little above him. In his left hand he grasped the thin, stone blade. He would have preferred to use his noose, but the foliage surrounding the huge cat precluded the possibility of an accurate throw with the rope." Akkut had now wandered quite close beneath the tree wherein lay the waiting death. Sheeta slowly edged his hind paws along the branch still further beneath him, and then with a hideous shriek he launched himself toward the great ape. The barest fraction of a second before his spring another beast of prey above him leaped, its weird and savage cry mingling with his. As the startled Akkut looked up he saw the panther almost above him, and already upon the panther's back the white ape that had bested him that day near the great water. The teeth of the ape-man were buried in the back of Sheeta's neck and his right arm was round the fierce throat, while the left hand, grasping a slender piece of stone, rose and fell in mighty blows upon the panther's side behind the left shoulder. Akut had just time to leap to one side to avoid being pinioned beneath these battling monsters of the jungle. With a crash they came to earth at his feet. Sheeta was screaming, snarling, and roaring horribly, but the white ape clung tenaciously and in silence to the thrashing body of his quarry. Steadily and remorselessly the stone knife was driven home through the glossy hide. Time and again it sank deep, until, with a final agonized lunge and shriek, the great feline rolled over upon its side, and save for the spasmodic jerking of its muscles, lay quiet and still in death. Then the ape-man raised his head as he stood over the carcass of his kill, and once again through the jungle rang his wild and savage victory-challenge. Akut and the apes of Akut stood looking in startled wonder at the dead body of Sheeta and the lithe, straight figure of the man who had slain him. Tarzan was the first to speak. He had saved Akut's life for a purpose, and, knowing the limitations of the ape intellect, he also knew that he must make this purpose plain to the anthropoid if it were to serve him in the way he hoped. I am Tarzan of the apes, he said, mighty hunter, mighty fighter. By the great water I spared Akut's life "'when I might have taken it and become king of the tribe of Ekut. "'Now I have saved Ekut from death beneath the rending fangs of Sheeta. "'When Akut or the tribe of Ekut is in danger, let them call to Tarzan thus. and "'The ape-man raised a hideous cry with which the tribe of Kerchak "'had been wont to summon its absent members in times of peril. "'And,' he continued, "'when they hear Tarzan call to them, "'let them remember what he has done for Ekut and come to him with great speed.' "'Shall it be as Tarzan says?' "'Huh!' assented Akut, and from the members of his tribe there rose a unanimous "'Huh!' Then, presently, they went to feeding again as though nothing had happened, and with them fed John Clayton, Lord Greystoke. He noticed, however, that Akut kept always close to him, and was often looking at him with a strange wonder in his little bloodshot eyes, and once he did a thing that Tarzan, during all his long years among the apes, had never before seen an ape do.' "'he found a particularly tender morsel "'and handed it to Tarzan. "'As the tribe hunted, "'the glistening body of the ape-man mingled with the brown, shaggy hides of his companions. "'Oftentimes they brushed together in passing, "'but the apes had already taken his presence for granted, "'so that he was as much of one of them "'as Akut himself. "'If he came too close to a she with a young baby, the "'the former would bear her great fighting fangs "'and growl ominously.' and occasionally a truculent young bull would snarl a warning if Tarzan approached while a former was eating. But in those things the treatment was no different from that which they accorded any other member of the tribe. Tarzan, on his part, felt very much at home with these fierce, hairy progenitors of primitive man. He skipped nimbly out of reach of each threatening female, for such is the way of apes, if they be not in one of their occasional fits of bestial rage, and he growled back at the truculent young bulls, baring his canine teeth even as they... Thus easily he fell back into the way of his early life, nor did it seem that he had ever tasted association with creatures of his own kind. For the better part of a week he roamed the jungle with his new friends, partly because of a desire for companionship, and partially through a well-laid plan to impress himself indelibly upon their memories, which at best are none too long. For Tarzan, from past experience, knew that it might serve him in good stead to have a tribe of these powerful and terrible beasts at his call." When he was convinced that he had succeeded to some extent in fixing his identity upon them, he decided to again take up his exploration. To this end he set out toward the north early one day, and keeping parallel with the shore, traveled rapidly until almost nightfall. When the sun rose the next morning, he saw that it lay almost directly to his right as he stood upon the beach, instead of straight out across the water, as heretofore, and so he reasoned that the shoreline had trended toward the west, all the second day he continued his rapid course, and when Tarzan and the ape sought speed, he passed through the middle terrace of the forest with the rapidity of a squirrel. That night the sun set straight out across the water opposite the land, and then the ape-man guessed at last the truth that he had been suspecting. Rokoff had set him ashore upon an island. He might have known it. If there was any plan that would render his position more harrowing, he should have known that such would be the one adopted by the Russian and what could be more terrible than to leave him to a lifetime of suspense upon an uninhabited island? Rokov doubtless had sailed directly to the mainland, where it would be a comparatively easy thing for him to find the means of delivering the infant Jack into the hands of the cruel and savage foster parents, who, as is noted threatened, would have the upbringing of the child. Tarzan shuddered as he thought of the cruel suffering the little one must endure in such a life, even though he might fall into the hands of individuals whose intentions toward him were of the kindest. The ape-man had had sufficient experience with the lower savages of Africa to know that even there may be found the cruder virtues of charity and humanity. But their lives were at best but a series of terrible privations, dangers, and sufferings. Then there was the horrid after-fate that awaited the child as he grew to manhood. The horrible practices that would form a part of his life training would alone be sufficient to bar him forever from association with those of his own race and station in life. A cannibal, "'His little boy, a savage man-eater. "'It was too horrible to contemplate. "'The filed teeth, the slit nose, "'the little face painted hideously. "'Tarzan groaned. "'Could he but feel the threat of the Russian fiend "'beneath his steel fingers? "'And Jane! "'What tortures of doubt and fear and uncertainty "'she must be suffering. "'He felt that his position was infinitely less terrible than hers, "'for he at least knew that one of his loved ones was safe at home.' while she had no idea of the whereabouts of either her husband or her son. It is well for Tarzan that he did not guess the truth, for the knowledge would have but added a hundredfold to his suffering. As he moved slowly through the jungle, his mind absorbed by his gloomy thoughts, there presently came to his ears a strange scratching sound which he could not translate. Cautiously he moved in the direction from which it emanated, presently coming upon a huge panther pinned beneath the fallen tree. As Tarzan approached, the beast turned, snarling, toward him, struggling to extricate itself. But one great limb across its back and the smaller entangling branches pinioning its legs prevented it from moving but a few inches in any direction. The ape-man stood before the helpless cat, fitting an arrow to his bow that he might dispatch the beast that otherwise must die of starvation. But even as he drew back the shaft, a sudden whim stayed his hand. Why rob the poor creature of life and liberty? when it would be so easy a thing to restore both to it. He was sure from the fact that the panther moved all its limbs in its futile struggle for freedom that his spine was uninjured, and for the same reason he knew that none of its limbs were broken. Relaxing his bowstring, he returned the arrow to the quiver and, throwing the bow about his shoulder, stepped closer to the pinion beast. On his lips was the soothing, purring sound that the great cats themselves made when contented and happy. It was the nearest approach to a friendly advance that Tarzan could make in the language of Sheeta. The panther seized his snarling and eyed the ape-man closely. To lift the tree's great weight from the animal it was necessary to come within reach of those long, strong talons, and when the tree had been removed, the man would be totally at the mercy of the savage beast. But to Tarzan of the apes, fear was a thing unknown. Having decided, he acted promptly. "'Unhesitatingly, he stepped into the tangle of branches "'close to the panther's side, "'still voicing his friendly and conciliatory purr. "'The cat turned his head toward the man, "'eyeing him steadily, questioningly. "'The long fangs were bared, "'but more in preparedness than threat. "'Tarzan put a broad shoulder beneath the bole of the tree, "'and as he did so his bare leg pressed against the cat's silken side, "'so close was the man to the great beast. "'Slowly Tarzan extended his giant muscular frame.' The great tree, with its entangling branches, rose gradually from the panther, who, feeling the encumbering weight diminish, quickly crawled from beneath. Tarzan let the tree fall back to earth, and the two beasts turned to look upon one another. A grim smile lay upon the ape-man's lips, for he knew that he had taken his life in his hands to free this savage jungle fellow. Nor would it have surprised him had the cat sprung upon him the instant that it had been released, but it did not do so. Instead, it stood a few paces from the tree watching the ape-man clamber out of the maze of fallen branches. Once outside, Tarzan was not three paces from the panther. He might have taken to the higher branches of the trees upon the opposite side, for Sheeta cannot climb to the heights to which ape-man can go. But something, a spirit of bravado, perhaps, prompted him to approach the panther as though to discover if any feeling of gratitude would prompt the beast of friendliness. As he approached the mighty cat, "'The creature stepped warily to one side, "'and the ape-man brushed past him "'within a foot of the dripping jaws. "'And as he continued on through the forest, "'the panther followed on behind him, "'as a hound follows at heel. "'For a long time, Tarzan could not tell "'whether the beast was following out of friendly feelings "'or merely stalking him against the time he should be hungry, "'but finally he was forced to believe "'that the former incentive it was "'that prompted the animal's action. "'Later in the day, the scent of a deer "'sent Tarzan into the trees.' and when he had dropped his noose about the animal's neck, he called to sheeta, using a purr similar to that which he had utilized to pacify the brute's suspicions earlier in the day, but a trifle louder and more shrill. It was similar to that which he had heard panthers use after a kill when they had been hunting in pairs. Almost immediately there was the crashing of the underbrush close at hand, and the long, lithe body of a strange companion broke into view. At sight of the body of Bera and the smell of blood, THE PANTHER GAVE FORTH A SHRILL SCREAM, AND A MOMENT LATER TWO BEASTS WERE FEEDING SIDE BY SIDE UPON THE TENDER MEAT OF THE DEER. FOR SEVERAL DAYS THIS STRANGELY ASSORTED PAIR ROAMED THE JUNGLE TOGETHER. WHEN ONE MADE A KILL, HE CALLED THE OTHER, AND THUS THEY FED WELL, AND OFTEN. ON ONE OCCASION, AS THEY WERE DINING UPON THE CARCASS OF A BOAR THAT SHEETA HAD DISPATCHED, NUMA, THE LION, GRIM AND TERRIBLE, BROKE THROUGH THE TANGLED GRASSES CLOSE BESIDE THEM. With an angry, warning roar, he sprang forward to chase them from their kill. Sheeta bounded into a nearby thicket, while Tarzan took to the low branches of an overhanging tree. Here the ape-man unloosed his grass rope from about his neck, and as Numa stood above the body of the boar, challenging head erect, he dropped the sinuous noose about the maned neck, drawing the stout strands taut with a sudden jerk. At the same time he called shrilly to Sheeta, as he drew the struggling lion upward until only his hind feet touched the ground. Quickly, he made the rope fast to a stout branch, and as the panther, in answer to his summons, leaped into sight, Tarzan dropped to the earth beside the struggling and infuriated Numa, and with a long, sharp knife sprang upon him at one side, even as she did it upon the other. The panther tore and rent Numa upon the right, while the ape man struck home with his stone knife upon the other, so that before the mighty clawing of the king of beasts had succeeded in parting the rope, he hung quite dead and harmless in the noose and then upon the jungle air there rose in unison from two savage throats the victory cry of the bull ape and the panther, blended into one frightful and uncanny scream. As the last notes died away in the long-drawn, fearsome wail, a score of painted warriors, drawing their long war canoe upon the beach, halted to stare in the direction of the jungle and to listen. Join us next week for chapters five and six of The Beasts of Tarzan. This is your host and storyteller, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories for the Road. Please do, if you have a moment, leave us a review, especially you Apple listeners and Spotify listeners as well. Reviews help new listeners find us, and we appreciate that very, very much. Until next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.